The Full 60 is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. So, great example. I'm sitting right now in Washington, D.C., counting down the minutes before this Washington Capitals-Boston Bruins showdown that you already know the final score too because uh, this will have dropped after this game. But if you go to game time right now, and I'm doing that as we as we speak, I'm looking. There's a ton of tickets available all over the the rink. Whatever whatever view you want, you can get it on game time right now for this huge game between two Eastern Conference powers. And it's like that for not just sporting events. They have it for concerts, um, plays, whatever it is you want to see, whatever live event you want to see. The game time app is simple quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey, while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. This week's guest is Hockey Hall of Famer Cami Granado, who was in the news earlier this year after the Seattle expansion franchise named her one of their pro scouts. And I wanted to have her on to talk about that and just another example of her being a pioneer inside the game of hockey. Um, and really get a, get some insight into what her job looked like. What, in general terms, what is Seattle looking for right now? I mean, here is a team that it's still a bit, a bit away from the expansion draft. And wanted to get into some of that with Cami. And naturally, it, the conversation just went from there into some pretty incredible stories uh, about her playing days, especially growing up. I, I, there's one about a coach, basically. Uh, threatening her with a separated shoulder, like crazy stories. And Cammy was was kind enough to take the time and indulge in some of these stories, and it was such a fun conversation. So somebody as accomplished as Cammy with a historic gold medal, um, all the things she has done in the world of hockey, world championships, just a, a pioneer in the sport of hockey. No need for a long introduction. So let's dive right into it, the full 60 with Cammy Granado. So, Cammie, I was reading a story when you got hired by Seattle, and one of the quotes that really jumped out to me that you said was, I've turned down a lot that I wish I had taken. And, and you said this was the perfect scenario. So I, there, there's mm-hmm. two things that jumped out to me with that. One is the turned down a lot, which I love to dive in anyways. But first, what made sure. Seattle so perfect to you? Um, the fit, first of all. I mean, it, actually, when the franchise was announced, both my husband and I kind of looked at each other and were like, that would be just a perfect place to be for for me to just get involved in some some way. Um, nothing real, I guess, detailed in my thought. It was just like, that's somewhere I want to be. Right. Um, and so, you know, and the secondly, it, the fit for me worked. Um Ray, my husband, will travel four times, four days out of the seven days, typically during the season of the week. So most of the week he's gone. So I'm on the weekends. And me leaving town, you know, having to travel, there would be no one there for the kids. And I just, I wasn't willing to to do that. So this job um, allows me to do my work in Vancouver. I I go to the Canucks games. I scout from there. and, And I'm back home that night. I'm not on the road. So that's really important for me. I always thought, you know, after spending so much time on the road as a hockey player, not having a, you know, a solid address, always traveling with as an amateur in sports with the Olympics and stuff. Once I had kids, I'm like, I'm going to be there for them. Right. And, um, and that was sort of my, my main priority. And, and now that they're getting older, this kind of job is just, it works really well for the whole, for the whole family. Because you can grow into it, too, on some level in terms of how much more you're willing to do in terms of travel. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because scouts, honestly, and I talked to scouts about this, I think they have the worst job in the in the game because it's it's a grind. Like, I was talking to one, and I'm like, hey, 
what if I tagged along and, you know, I could write about what it's like? And he's like, sure, we got to go to, and he just listed all these awful cities mm-hmm. in, in like a three-day span. I'm like, uh, it's maybe maybe I'll come up with a different idea. It's tough. Yeah, well, I'm I'm pretty lucky that I that I can stay in Vancouver and do you know pro scout from here. Yeah. Um, I think that's you know again that's that's for me what was the was the you know, the big okay this works this box is fully checked and I can say yes and I knew and I knew right away when when Ron Francis had asked me that I was going to say yes I just I had a. Uh, I was really happy about the opportunity because just I knew it would work. Yeah, in terms of the jobs I turned down, I had um, a lot of a number of jobs come my way. None, none in this capacity, mind you. No, nothing from a scouting perspective. It was all just jobs inside hockey. Okay. Um, just getting involved in um, with teams or coaching or media and, and um, broadcasting opportunities, and all of them required me to leave town. Right. Um, even just appearances back home, Olympic appearances back home with sponsorship issues, uh, sponsorship, um, sorry, uh, dinners and uh, banquets and uh, events. I just, I had to say no to so many things. And even my family, they were like getting on me. They're like, why are you turning everything down? And you got to work and you got to keep your name out there. And, and for me, I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, compromise my family. Like, it's just, it, it's not a fit. Um, it's too much. And so, um, I weighed in on everyone individually and, and, and I did, I had to say no to a lot of things. And so this felt like the timing of it felt perfect. And, uh, the whole, you know, description of it was perfect. So I'm, I'm just really excited and, and to be a part of something that's, you know, starting from the ground up is really exciting. I love that. I know. I love even talking to the people in Vegas and George and Kelly there about what they, just that that concept, and I remember even seeing them at the rink a lot when they were kind of in your spot now, where it's just the research phase. Like let's let's really get to know all these players um, on these teams, mm-hmm. and they did such a great job in, in who they picked. And I'm curious, without giving away state secrets, like when you're watching these games in Vancouver, what specifically are you looking for? Well, right now, because the expansion draft in 2021, we're just trying to grow the database okay. and get all the information we need to um, know these players when it comes time to draft them. So right now it's just filling up our database with our opinions. And, um, and so that when, when that time comes, you know, we'll have a really clear idea of, of all the players, um, even the ones that aren't potentially available, but we just have a great database on the NHL. Um, Obviously the scope, you know, obviously we want to know and be prepared for that draft, but we'll have, We'll have meetings and and things like that to touch base on uh, over the next couple of years. But it's um, right now it's 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 really just getting just getting that database filled up and just getting that information. And for me, I'm learning a lot of the players. Like I I, I know the league. I've I've been around the league. But when you actually dig in and have to really know all their tendencies, like all that's right. been um, that's really you know for me what I've been looking hard at is just getting to know all these guys um, that I somewhat know, but just know them a little deeper right so when you say database is it is it like players and then in terms of some sort of rating system or like like that kind of database yes it's a it's it's most of i think most NHL uses a ring net database where you go on and and you and you fill out a report after your game so i fill out a report and you can you know you, you fill in your information about players and then you can rank them on certain attributes or you know things that each, each team has particular what they want. So, you know, what we've been told, what, what Seattle, what, what we want to do. And so that's what, that's what I file. And, um, it's been, I mean, we've only done a handful so far, but it's, it's been, uh, it's been a really cool learning experience and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, how much I'd be interested because Seattle has been pretty progressive in, you know, with the hire of Alex and, and they're building out the analytics team. Do they have an input of what you're looking for? Is it like, or is it purely strictly like a traditional pro scouting approach? Um, are you meaning, is it, is it cater specifically to what they want? Yeah, I would say, to like well, I guess maybe it goes along, another team? Right, because you say, well, we know what Seattle wants, so I imagine they have an input in what that looks like. Absolutely. I mean, they design the, the when you file a report, it's designed by the team individually. Mm-hmm. And so some teams rank teams based on different 
categories and I know Seattle, how we rank and how, what they want to see. And this is how we fill out our reports. I think some other teams look a little bit different. They're all most, they're all pretty much the same, right. but it's, it's a little bit more tweaks here and there that maybe different teams want to see. So um, all in all, you're just, you're looking to see, to gauge player and player interest for your team. That's really what it's about. Right. What do you find when you're watching players and you're like specifically focused on one player? Let's say you're building up the database on that player. What do you find yourself kind of gravitating towards in terms of what you're looking for? You know, I naturally, I naturally gravitate to the type of player that I, right. you know, how I played the game, and I, it's a lot easier for me to see that uh, than it is other things. So I, I will naturally gravitate to that, but I'm, I'm forcing myself to stop and you know, look at other things as well. Um, you know, I was a forward, so looking at defensemen and, and watching, um, you know, not only how they move the puck and play in the offensive zone, how they play along the boards with, uh, you know, in front of the net, you know, do they get focused on one thing? And, you know, it's just all those little nuances in the game that you, you have to pick up on. And, and you can't get that all in one game. You've got to watch a player multiple times to see that. Right. Um, so there's a lot of layers to peel back. So right now I'm just um, trying to, you know, get a quality report on say five or six guys, and then the next game try to watch other players. And so that's kind of how it's started. But I'm, I, I've, I've been told it takes about three years to actually get really comfortable. So um, I know there is a learning curve, and I'm as much as I'm trying to be patient with myself, I really want to make sure I do, you know, a really good job. When you when you when you say it takes three years to be comfortable, just in terms of building out reports or like in terms of scouting, I think just understanding, you know, you'll you'll you know the players all so well that you can you can go and watch them and you know how they play. They're are they playing? Are they playing better than they normally play? Are they playing worse than they normally play? So you just you have that baseline, right? Um, and then with younger players you know, how projecting them, are they, are they playing the way you projected that kind of thing? So I, I don't have that yet because I'm not, you need a couple of years behind you to see that, but you can go in, you know, for me going in without having scouted, I, I still know the game. I've been, I've been around the game my whole life. So scouting for me is just, it's something I've always looked at, but now it's, I'm doing it as a, as a job. I mean, we, right. Hockey, I think hockey players in general, when you go watch a game, you, you tend to follow players and really appreciate certain things about players or notice other things. And so now I get to do it and, and report on it, which is really cool. That's right. Right. You get paid to do it. What? So as somebody who was uh, like, you know, you, you're the best in the world at what you did. What do you what do you think you see differently than maybe the average person? That's a really good question. I, I think it's probably subjective to the athlete. For me, I, I, like I mentioned, I, what jumps out immediately is is the finesse of the game, is the you know the offensive sort of minded, really great hockey sense, um, that kind of thing. I think, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. yeah, I think that's that's pretty much what I see. I, I, I think for me, I do get the competitiveness. I think that's something that you can't get if you haven't played at a high level, understand like how you rise when like, say you have a you know crappy start to the game and then how you turn around or a back-to-back game and how, how you're going to play when you're tired or when you're down, uh, uh, down a goal, like the hunger right. and, and the competitiveness and the attitude as well, like body language and, um, I noticed leadership qualities because I was in a leadership position for a long time. I noticed little nuances like that, that mm. if you didn't play the game, you might not pick up on. Right. But I find that's really natural to understand that, um, that part of the game. So I find that fascinating because I'm not sure I would, aside from like something really obvious, like a player pulling a player aside or, you know, talking on the bench or whatever, um, like I like famously, I remember covering that playoff game where I think Jonathan Taves was really upset about something, and Brent Seabrook calms him down. Right, like Jonathan Taves had the mm-hmm. reputation of being so serious and getting worked up, and like you saw Seabrook really rein him in, like right in front of all of us, and it was 
and it was written about and it was, it became this thing. What do you see from like great leaders on the ice? Like, what do you, what are those nuances that you see that indicate, okay, okay, this guy has the respect of his teammates? Well, it's, it's not just one simple answer. I mean, I think, um, you know, you can see work ethic as part of leadership. Yeah. Um, someone who shows up every game, someone who's taking, you know, taking having big minutes but playing like a role where maybe, you know, big face-offs in the defensive zone that people might not really talk about as much, like those kind of things. Right. Um, someone back-to-back, um, you know, really when the game's in a lull, like picking it up and um, other things like, you know, you can you can tell a team guy when a when a guy that hasn't scored in a while scores, and everybody on the bench is like so excited for that player. You can tell they're a, te- they're a great guy in the room. You can just tell they're beloved by the right. team, right? You can tell they're a good team guy because everyone's excited. I mean, they wouldn't be that way if they didn't uh, didn't care for this guy like that. So you can see stuff like that. Um, I like seeing the, the competitiveness too. The, the the you know like a back checking when you're down five two that that right. shows a little bit of character. Right. Um, you know, stuff like that. Um, and, I, and I get it's a long season, too. you got to look at that as well. So you, you give you give guys a break as well. But um, those are some of the nuances, I guess, I, I notice. Yeah. Um, it's funny, kind of going back to when you said you were talking about opportunities you might have passed on. I think the, the one that we kind of know publicly, the famous thing, and we're going way back, but the, the Islanders tryout. <laughs> do, you ever, does that ever, do you ever think about that? Do you ever say... Occasionally, I do. I actually thought about. I hadn't thought about it in a while, but I don't know why something tripped my my brain to remember it. Like uh, about a month ago, I was thinking about that again, going, "Yeah, wow, that that really did happen." And it was a really. Um, I mean, I really thought about that. I took a lot of time. I talked to a lot of people, and I did take it very seriously to try to, you know, should I do this or shouldn't I? Yeah. Um, but in the end, it was. It was. I was thinking, you know, if if someone takes a run at me and I get injured and I can't accomplish my Olympic dream, I'll, I'll regret it forever. Mm. Um, and I think in my mind, I knew, I knew I wasn't going to go play an 80 game season with the Islanders. I, I knew with my stature and size, like right. physically against, uh, against those guys. Like I just knew it was more of like, let's see how I, how I, um, fit fit in and what, you know, measuring the level between a female and a, and a man, you know, playing. And I think that's probably as far as it goes, I would have maybe played an exhibition game. I don't know, right. but, um, I don't know how far I would have gone to tell you the truth, but I, I just, I had my, I was so focused on my dream, you know, when we found out the Olympics was in the, you know, when women's hockey was accepted in the Olympics to that point where I was just about to go, I had been training and thinking about it pretty much every day of my life just like it's going to happen if, if I keep on this road, if I keep working hard and I can make this team, you know, it's right there. So, I, and I was playing with the national team. So I knew, you know, if I did this, got hurt, I just, yeah, again, I would have, it would have been really um, hard to live with if I didn't ever get that chance. So, so just for the listener and I don't, and I'm, I guess I don't remember the timeline. This would have been before 98. This was the. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? It's, 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 that's so long ago. I, I, in my mind, I believe it was, the year before. Okay. All right. And, it it might have even been it might have even been the ninety seven fall. Okay. Either the ninety six or ninety seven fall. And it and it, and it also again, it could have been right before the Salt Lake games, but I, I'm I'm almost certain it was before Nagano okay. when we won the gold. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. I haven't talked about it in a while, but yeah, in my mind that's probably when it was. All right. And so Mike Milbury so that the backstory is Mike Milbury Mike Milbury expresses gives you an invitation to try out and did you like? Did you have a relationship with Mike, or like, what was like? Was did it was it out of left field? Like, what do you remember about your initial response to it? It wasn't. I I didn't have like a a strong relationship with Mike. I think we the hockey world small. We all know each other, right. but we don't. We weren't um, by any means like I didn't have his phone number on my phone or anything right. that kind of thing. If we even had, if we even had phones back then, I don't remember, <laughs> but. <laughs> But, uh, no, I do remember getting the call and, and he was very serious about it. It wasn't in his mind. It was not a, um, a media type attention grabbing thing for his team. At least that's how I took it. Yeah. Um, I know he had, I think he had some girls, daughters as well. And I think he was legitimately just trying to give, um, 
sort of a woman a chance to show where she belonged. And I, and I had skated a lot with guys. Like I played in um, summer leagues with, with guys a lot. And I played um, my brothers with the Badger team. Like I could go out on the ice with those guys and, um, but when checking, like a lot of times in the summer, you're not, no one's checking. Right. Um, and, and at that time the game was, was pretty, you know, more, a lot more physical than today's game where you just see that fast pace and, um, maybe less hitting. Um, it was right in the, right in the thick of it. And, um, I just wasn't sure, you know, I talked to one of my, one of the guys that was on the team at the time that was going to be in training camp and, kind of got his, his opinion and, and he thought, you know, what if some guy was like, you know, just wanted to say like, you're not taking my job or mm. this is ridiculous that you're out here and just took a run at me. You know, at that time I was probably like 135 pounds and we got a 200 pound guy coming at me, which, sure. you know, so I just thought I, I can't do it. I, I wanted so badly to, but um, I do wish that I would have talked to Mike about what, it entailed in more detail. Like, am I going to just be thrown into like full checking, you know, scrimmages or, or, or am I coming for a day where we're doing drills? And then I kind of wish I would have, uh, maybe exercised that option. But, um, but anyway, in the end it it was flattered and, and I'm glad that I, I stuck to the path and it ended up, you know, we, we won the gold medal and had I not been a part of that, that would have really, that would have really sucked. Yeah, yeah, that would have. I mean, who knows how that plays out in '98? Right. If you, if you get hurt, right, there's right. a whole alternative history that exists somewhere where you get hurt in yeah. training camp. That would be right, awful. right, right, and that would that would be harder to take than, you know. So I just I weighed the options and I talked with my coach pretty seriously about it too, and um, yeah, so that's what ended up happening. But I do I am really uh, I commend Mike for at a time where. You know, women's hockey was just just on the cusp of people even knowing about it. Right. Um, we had had a couple world championships, but it hadn't been on the world stage yet. And for Mike to, you know, to offer that, I thought, you know, showed the support. And you know, we're still fighting for that now. And and Mike knew then to, you know, to try to fight for the awareness and um, bring bring the game to you know some equality. Yeah, and Mike's not necessarily a guy. I think in general terms that you know, is, is thought of as a progressive thinker. Right. And, and here it is 97. That's yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It was really progressive thinking right. actually for him then. Yeah. And he's, um, yeah, it was just, it was a, an interesting thing. Um, I'd love to talk to him about it. Maybe we should, uh, I know I, I, search that and see, see what he was thinking and, and how it came about. But yeah, it was, it's pretty cool. Um, and so, like, like the idea of somebody taking a run at you in training camp is a, a very real thing because I remember reading something where, like, a you had a coach say to you, and maybe you can tell the story, mm. if you go on the ice, I'm going to separate your shoulder or, or she yeah. will. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. that's crazy to me, by the yeah. way. Like, in, in my Well, you got to put it in perspective of the times, like, where we were in the times because things like that were thrown out a lot, threats and um, – it wasn't anything I wasn't used to. So when that came, I had dealt with a lot of stuff, not my team. I mean, they only had a couple things with my team, mostly the parents. It was never the boys on my team, um, growing up, but it was this coach in particular. We were, we were, a um, a minor hockey team and we were playing a, at the time we were playing a team outside. that was just a triple a traveling team. They weren't really in a league. And so they were one of the, they were the, like the better players went on this team apparently. And this is what, you know, they traveled to different tournaments and that. And so we played minor hockey and we were state champions that year. We were undefeated for the whole year and they, our team wanted a game against them. And so just to see where we matched up. Yeah. And so before the game happened, um, that the coach had said, um, if that, if the girl plays in the game, we're going to separate her shoulder. We don't want her. We don't want to play against her. We don't want a girl in the game. So my coach said, well, <clears throat> You know, I, I don't actually know what he said at that moment, but I know he came to my parents and I and said, "This is what's happening. What do you think?" And I'm like, I looked at my parents. I'm like, I'm playing this game. Like, I am not not playing this game. Like, right. and I was dead serious. Like, you're nothing is going to stop me from playing this game. This How ridiculous. old have you been at this so point? The, like, roughly? I was probably twelve. Yeah. Okay. And and nothing, like it didn't to me when they, he said that. Like, I was like, I just felt really confident 
and felt really confident in sort of where I belonged on the team. And I'd faced a lot of that already. So it was like, it's just another one, you know? And so my coach and my parents and the meeting just went and I was like, I'm playing. And he said to my parents, I'll keep her in the middle and I won't keep her on the wing. And I'll put her with Jeff Jestat and his son, Dan Lepaka. Right. And these guys are, uh, Jeff was like six, two <laughs> and, uh, Danny has, uh, my coach's son was, you know, strong and thick and he he's like no one's gonna mess with you type thing right so I had these two guys on my wing and I, I did I kept my head up but the game went on I scored I think I, I think I scored the game winner we won 2-1 so we beat this triple-a team and I remember and I'm not I'm not a real um I guess I'm kind of humble okay so right. after I remember after shaking his hand I did grab my shoulder and sort of like move it around like oh yeah it doesn't hurt very much <laughs> and I just I was a little surprising with myself but I, the, the competitive the competitiveness got the best of me because typically I'm a little more shy and reserved but I was just like yeah no I'm good and we beat you so I felt really good um oh. so that, that was that was funny but I, I think that the greatest thing is I had awesome support around me. Yeah. Um, you know, I had some times, you know, kids would tell me, you know, tease me or, you know, just whatever they throw, like take a run at me. And, um, you know, I had a concussion one time from my, mostly it was tournaments. This is when I was away at a tournament. And then another one that's really funny is my cousin Bobby was on my team. This is the same year. We're at the same coach. We're in, um, we're in Minnesota. We play mini Tonka and I don't know what they were feeding these guys, but they were all like six, over six feet. Right. And I, and I actually was a little intimidated. I was like, Oh man, full check, like six foot, a big, big team. So he overheard, he went to get a drink of water by the water fountain. He could hear the coach in the locker room and he overheard the coach saying, um, number 21 is a girl. And I want you, I want you guys to take a runner to the first shift. Hmm. And, um, so he came in the locker room and he told, uh, he told Bobby, my cousin, he said, Bobby, you and Cammy are switching jerseys. You're going to be 21. <laughs> and it was, it was awesome because, you know, I just had this support around me that made everything okay. Like it was this barrier of like, these guys all had my back. And so those were some of the best days for me playing hockey was minor hockey years. And, and that year winning the state championship in Illinois, um, that was like, you know, we got team jackets and we had a big banquet and, um, you know, those, those memories were, were some of the best. Where do you think you get that confidence from as a 12 year old to say, I'm not, I'm not backing down from this deranged adult, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I wasn't necessarily like confident in other parts of like I was a bit more reserved when it came to other things, but when it came to the, to the rink, when I like, so this is a good example. When I'd walk into the rink in the lobby, a lot of times the parents, mostly from other teams, because my, my organization was very familiar with me. They were kind of over it, but, but mostly other parents whisper and point fingers. And then people would turn and look, it was like, I was a spectacle walking in with my bag and then I had to walk left to go to the bathroom, which I hated. I couldn't go in the locker room right away because I had to change, and then I'd meet the guys in the locker room when everybody was dressed. So that, those moments I hated. I hated when the figure skaters came in and shut the lights off on me, and they called me weirdo. I hated it. But when I got on the ice, something changed. I felt like a lion. I felt confident. I felt like this is where I belong, and nobody's going to stop me. And I don't know where that came from was very natural, but that's how it felt. And I think that's, you know, my persona was different than it was off the ice was on the ice. And I had that. So maybe that's where it came from. Like I just felt right being on the ice. So, so having to just do something like that, having that confidence, it was just kind of natural. Yeah. So that's the only way I can explain it really. It's, I, I, I think about these things cause I've got, three kids kind of in this age age range right now and and we we talk about confidence and i it was i think it was jeff blaschel after a red wings game where the team's kind of fragile and he said you know you can't you can't just give and in this case it's players but it's kids you can't just give them confidence it has to be earned right you earn it through those Mm -hmm. experience and Mm -hmm. that like just struck with me you know a stupid post game where i'm going that's like you have to put your kids in these situations where they can kind of earn it i think on some level Mm -hmm. 
No, I, I agree. And it's, it's working through it too, because it's never perfect. Like I, trust me, I had to go through a lot of different obstacles, but I just, I felt strong enough about the game. I loved the game so much. I was confident in my ability that I didn't want those obstacles to stop me. Like there were a lot of people on the way that tried to quit. You know, there were parents that would join the team and be new to the program and say, well, I don't want to put my, I want my son on the ice with her. And then, you know, two or three weeks into the season, they're apologizing because they realize I can play. Right. You know, it was, I was always a novelty to everyone that like, like saw me for the first time. And I had to like get through all that. But I think there was just something inside me that I, I did have that underlying confidence. And maybe that's because my brothers just literally beat on me like repetitively on a daily basis. And I just, I had, I was tough. I don't know. But I had, I was, I was the youngest of the, of the hockey playing siblings. We, yeah. I come from a family of six, six kids, but my three older brothers played and I, and I followed them around with everything and they really did just throw me in every situation and they never really let me, you know, quit. Never. So, um, I think that might've helped, but I, I do think when you, when you talk about, you know, earning the confidence, it's, it doesn't come overnight. And, and I work with kids now that ask me, you know, stuff like that about confidence. And it's like, it, it, it's okay if you don't have it right now, you know, it's, it's a working it, it ebbs and flows and it, and it's something you got to keep working at and you don't need to have it figured out by the time you're 10 or 12. Right. How much do you think that as your backstory allowed you to kind of take on new things and, you know, I mean, being the first at a lot of different things in your life, you know what I mean? Like how much do you think that yeah. was allowed you to do? Yeah, that? no, that's interesting. I, I think, I think it was, I think because that I had to fight from the beginning. Um, I didn't really get like, even when I was little, I didn't really get like the hype around it. I'm like, why is everyone making such a big deal about this? Like, cause I, I didn't, def- I didn't define myself as a girl trying to play hockey. Like I defined myself as a hockey player. Mm-hmm. There was nothing, there was nothing about gender. It was, I'm a hockey player. I'm not. A, and so to me, I was like, it just was noise around me. I was like, what is this noise? Like, and I, and I did, I just let it go and let it just be around me. But I didn't for some reason, like if this was off the ice stuff, I know I would have, um, it would have felt differently yeah. because maybe I, maybe I wouldn't be as confident in other, in other areas, but for some reason with hockey and with athletics, I always felt like it came natural and was comfortable. So maybe that, maybe that was why, but, um, and, and it did, it prepares you for all the, all the things that, um, come your way. And, and it's, you know, people can say what they want. And at this point, I'm like, I've heard it. Like, go ahead. You can say it. Like, I've heard it. It doesn't, it's not going to deter me. I know this very thing. I'm confident. It's when you're not confident in something and someone says something you are like, oh crap, you know, but with this, the game, it's been, it's a part of my life from the very beginning. Right. So, yeah. Right. So like if someone's critical of something I do, it's, it is when I'm, when I'm already suspecting something myself, like if I have internal doubts and then they reaffirm mm. it somehow. Then I'm mm-hmm. like, that's when I feel bad. You're so right. Like if I know, yes. you know, I didn't mail it in on a story. Like I know I did the proper research. I know like, then I'm like, you can be critical of it. That's fine. You're, you know, we, but like it, it's, it's when I have that, like that one little doubt that it kind of seeps. Yeah, out. it totally. And I, I know it's funny because I was saying like, um, when I was in, after the 98 Olympics, I got asked to do the color, uh, for the radio for the LA Kings. And I was I knew, like, I was so raw. I had never done it. And I, when I first started doing it, I was thinking, like, oh, my gosh, this is so much harder than playing. Like, so much harder than playing. And I think about, like, if there was social media when I started, now that would have bugged me, right? Because right. I would know that I'm not natural. It wasn't natural. It was something I needed to really work at to get better. I needed time. I needed, you know, experience. So that would have bugged me. But when it came to playing and when it came to things, you know, in the game or you know, that kind of thing, different, but yeah, it's right. It's when you have those, those doubts and someone says that you're like, dang. Yeah. But I'm, I'm happy. There was no social media back then. I would have had to like not use my phone for that year. Hey, let me just interrupt this conversation with Cami for a second here to talk about DoorDash. And I, I gotta say, like, I just got back from a family vacation over Thanksgiving to spend some time with my brother in Atlanta. And when we're all just hanging out and we're lazy and we're in like our sweatpants and we don't want to move and we don't want to cook or even go out to eat, this is the time where you love DoorDash because they connect you to your favorite restaurants in your city 
And ordering from DoorDash is so easy. You open the DoorDash app, you choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. And not only is your favorite pizza joint already in DoorDash, like that's something, pizza is something you expect to get delivered to your door. There are over 300, I mean, that's a lot. There are over 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities. So you can check out a new favorite restaurant. doesn't have to be pizza. If they got anything you can imagine on there. So right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first, first order, $15 or more, when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code FULL60, F-U-L-L, numeral 60. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter the code FULL60. Don't forget, that's promo code FULL60 for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. All right, back to the conversation with Cammie. Because you, you talked about the confidence that comes with playing. Now you're trying something that's off the ice. And and I went back and I read a, a story that I think it was Bill Platchkey wrote that really, like, it was it was like I, I had a hard time reading it because it was like, you know, here's some of the criticisms and it's very real. And you had a quote in there that you said, you know, I'm the first person to admit that people are hammering me. So, like, you seemed at the time very aware that, People mm-hmm. didn't love it. Like, how, yeah. even without social media, like, what did that look like right. at the time? Um, I just, I think, I just was honest about it. Like, hey, I'm new at this. I got, I got thrown into a job where I knew I was new. But the Kings were unbelievable. Yeah. Like, I had, again, I had an organization that backed me up. Um, Tim Wiki was awesome. Mike Altieri, um the whole, all, all the guys I work with, all, all the broadcasters, Nick Dixon, my partner, and um, you know all the broadcast guys. Like everybody was was behind me. Um, so I, I I definitely knew. I definitely knew, and I definitely I felt you know sometimes really discouraged. And I knew I just wasn't as confident as I would be if I did it today, right? I just I was a young kid just coming off a, a gold medal win and. And then you're doing a completely different job, and you haven't even figured out yet even how to how to prepare for that job, right? And, right. and then then you're on air, and and then you have your moment to talk, and you're just yeah, it was it was a lot. It was it was an amazing experience for me. Um, but yeah, I think I knew, and I and I I think with the support of the Kings, they they really just reiterated like, hey, we know you're new at this. Like, take your time. It's good. And I got to say, it's a forgiving market. LA is a forgiving market. Yeah. Like if you, if I was in maybe, um, you know, New York or, you know, Montreal or something like that, where you've got like, you know, very intense hockey fans, um, LA at least had a market where people were just a little bit more chill. Right. So, but it was still, yeah, it was still, it was still a big challenge and, um, and one I'll never forget, but the Kings were really, really good to me. How long did you do that for? Forgive me for not knowing that. So I did it for the year. Okay. And then I, and I believe I left, um, the year after to go, we, we ended up, um, our, our U S team ended up, um, all moving to Boston to train together. Okay. It was sort of a, Yeah. But uh, but I but the nice thing is too is the Kings knew I was still playing so they I, I went to the World Championships that year I skated after ice with Larry Robinson he let me skate with the guys that weren't playing and or, or the coaches games and so I got a lot of ice when I was there as well so it was it was a really nice setup and um, you know it was again they were really um, you know open to the fact that I was still playing and and also you know being new at broadcasting so it was it was good. Did you, so what did you learn about yourself, I guess, in your ability to, to do something outside of your comfort zone in terms of going from on ice to off ice and then having to deal with some of the same criticisms? Um, you know, I was, I guess I, I just learned that you, it, it is good to do things outside your comfort zone. Yeah. Um, if you're, you know, I was given an opportunity and I took it and I'm glad I did because if I didn't take it for fear of all that, then I don't know, that wouldn't have been the right choice. I just, the experiences I had from that and, and also like being in a position where you're, you know, I had been playing a sport where I was super 
comfortable in and confident in, and then you go and do something that like completely challenges you in a different way. I, I learned, I learned a lot and I learned a lot about myself and I, and I've learned complete respect for what it takes to broadcast and the work that goes into it. You know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't even near that when I started, I didn't realize like what you really have to put into it. I was still really young and naive about it, but yeah, I learned, it was a great, great learning experience for sure. Someone once said about you, I hate to call her a pioneer because she's so young. When did you, which is an odd, odd thing to think, like that somebody can almost every step of the way be a pioneer at any age. When did you kind of realize mm-hmm. you were consistently being a pioneer on some level? Well, I didn't really realize it. I know it was thrown out a lot when we won the Olympic gold medal, and, yeah. and I think all of us kind of thought, like, well, the word pioneer just, we're too, we are, we're too young and it doesn't, it's not really resonating. We could see what, you know, why it was being said. I think it was years and years later, like a decade later where we were like, wow, okay. Um, you know, we were the first to do it. I think time had to pass to understand the magnitude of it and the fact that they, you know, we were the first team and, and we were the first gold medal winners and that kind of thing. So I think it it was probably like 10 to 12 years later where we, I, I personally realized, like, wow, okay, I can see, I can see that. Right, right. And it's, like, you know, now that team is kind of entrenched in our mind, like that 98 team in the States. Like, that's this, you know, this is a historic team. And then I, I look back, and I think maybe it was around this range. I, 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 maybe we didn't realize how, or I certainly didn't, how how hard it is to, to accomplish that. Because uh, just from a very practical point of view, because I was looking like basically you you were living on fifteen grand a year or something like that was the stipend. Or, is, is that right? Like mm-hmm. that right time? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Grand. And we were, and we, if you if you could have if you could have seen the where we lived as well. Like we lived, there were no cell phones, there was no internet. Um, we lived in dorms in Lake Placid, New York, where it's a town of five thousand, and it's. Um, really remote there's nothing like there's a couple coffee shops like so off ice there wasn't a lot of balance it was pretty much all hockey so we lived in these dorms and we lived two to three in a room and again no phone in your room we had a tv and if you wanted to talk to your loved ones you're on the pay phone you're, you're literally standing in line to talk to your to get the pay phone and then you're when you're talking you're like there's no chair to sit on when you're talking so you're like leaning in against the wall you know trying to have a conversation and you got three people behind you waiting and, um, you know, you're eating cafeteria food and it's cold and dark and yeah, it was, it was a grind. Um, and then you're, it's, it, it, it was amateur in every sense of the way. Like there was nothing, um, you know, when you compare professional sport with being paid, you know, the amateur road is, there's a lot of lonely times where you're training alone or team, you know, as a team, you're up in a remote area and, and nobody's watching, you know, um, that's kind of what I realized as an Olympic athlete for most Olympians, that's what you're, you're getting, you know, you're, you have real, real dedication to something on an amateur, um, I guess, you know, wages and, um, you're giving up a lot to go and do it. And the benefit is that you make it to the Olympics and you get your, you know, your moment to try to, you know, do what you set out to do, what your goal is. Right. And that's, that's the beauty of it. There's a lot of real magic in that whole, you know, road to it, but there's also, um, I'm really happy to see how much it's changed. And the, there's, the girls are now, you know, for, for our U S team, they're now situated in a place where if they are centralized, it's not as long. Right. And if they are centralized, it's, you know, it's apartment style where they're an apartment and they actually can have some balance. Um, not so remote. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of growth, which can help the mental part about it. Cause it, it mentally, that's really, it was really difficult on our team, especially the Salt Lake run for our team. It was a couple of years in Lake Placid and we were pushed to a whole new level. And it was, um, there's a lot of, you know, down days where it was like, Oh man, this is a grind. Right. How much have you like in recent years been asked or been interested in, in being a part of kind of USA hockey's advancement on this side of the equation. You know what I mean? Like they've been in the news a lot. They've, I'm sure people would want you in the mix there. 
you mean in what capacity? Like I would say in any capacity, you would say hockey. Like I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> like in a leadership position, pretty high up, or or even just you know, I, in, really in any capacity. Yeah, I've never, um, I've never been asked. Um, I think from a perspective of being involved, I've definitely been, you know, part of the team with coming in like last year or a couple of years ago when the girls were, um, making the push towards the, uh, Olympics when they won their gold. Yeah. Um, I actually went to, um, Portland, uh, they were at Nike town, the Nike campus. Um, and I went there to see them for, and, and I talked to them for, we sat, I think we sat for a couple hours and talked. And then I, the next day I kind of followed them around and part of their team building stuff. And so from that capacity, I have been involved. Right. Um, and, and, and with some of the players now, uh, I've been involved. Um, so I think that that's really the extent of it. Like I've not, yeah, that's, that's what it's been so far. I haven't really had any opportunities or been asked to do anything specifically with USA hockey, but, um, that's you know, mostly with the team itself. Right. Would that be anything you'd want to do? Well, again, it's right now. I'm happy where I'm, what I'm doing. Right. Like this is, you know, the Seattle job for me is like I said, it's, it's the perfect fit. Yeah. Um, so my, I'm not, it's nothing. I'm you no, know, I'm not pursuing anything. Yeah. That's what you're asking. Right. Yeah, no. Um, all right. Okay. So kind of winding down, there's a couple things I wanted to, like very specific questions I wanted to ask you. One, you played four games on a broken leg. <laughs> How did you get that information? Nobody knows that. <laughs> you did your research. I do a little research for these things. Um, Where'd you find that? I don't even know. That's funny. All right. Well, I'll give you, I'll, I'll let you in on the secret. So we have access as journalists to, to, newspaper archives which is fun because it's uh-huh. like it's it's almost like going through the old microfilm it's yep. like and so like i was just going through old newspaper clippings oh, from love to see that article you need to send me that i will find it i will like give you a screen grab it was of in it. san jose yeah, yeah i remember that well and, yeah. a, and the my <laughs> my favorite quote from you was it's <laughs> oh god it wasn't it well, let, me find, let me see where, where it is oh you said oh it was a non-weight bearing bone like that made it somehow less oh beautiful. yeah yeah to, to play on a broken leg. Yeah. Well, it's kind of that mentality when you're a player is like, nothing's going to stop me. Like I even see it in my kids. Like my, well, my older son, he got a couple last year, maybe it was, he, he fell in a championship game. They were playing in soccer and he hurt himself pretty good. And, he's, and he looked at me cause he went over to the like tent where they were looking at the, they had like a uh, physio guy there or whatever. And he looks at me, he's like, I'm playing no matter what. Yeah. And, and I just got like inside, like the biggest smile. Cause I'm like, that was me. Right. Like that was me always like as an athlete, when you're really determined, like nothing's going to stop you. Right. So <clears throat> here's me. I'm just, I, we're playing against China and we're in San Jose I think it was a five nations cup at the time. I don't remember the, the tournament had a number of teams. I mean, no, it was a Pacific rim tournament. I think we had uh, China and I don't remember who else, but China had just started kind of surfacing in the women's hockey world. Okay. And um, they had, from what I, from, from the story that we heard is they had only watched NHL hockey. So when we played them, they played like it was like the, their first international. I think it was their one of their first international tournaments that they'd ever played, and they had taken a lot of other athletes from different sports. But the government really wanted to get hockey, the Chinese team, up to like some success by jumping up in the rankings. So they they got all these great athletes and put them in hockey skates, and they became their Chinese national team at the time. This is this is what we heard. Right. So they come, they're watching all these NHL tapes. They had literally like an entire game of penalties. Like we had so many five on threes that game. I remember because all they were doing was hitting. Right. Like that's it. Like they just that's what they had been watching, right? So <sighs> I remember coming. I was I was skating down, uh, kind of across the blue line, and someone was offside. So I just kept skating. I like kind of let the puck go, and there was a girl behind me that I didn't know, and she just leveled me from behind, and I had a little bit of speed going, and I just my leg went in funny and hit the boards and I, that's how I broke a bone in my leg. And so that's how it happened. It was the, it was the Chinese national team who, you know, just hadn't figured out yet that we don't check. That's amazing. And, 
Yeah. And so I didn't want to, I didn't want to stop playing. I was like, I'm, you know, I'm good. I can put weight on it. Like I'm playing. And so I play, I think we played four more games. And then when I got home, I remember I was back, I was at Concordia that, that year. Yeah. Uh, at grad school, I got home and I remember thinking, man, my leg is really sore. But, uh, but I played. So nothing, you know, I didn't do any damage. And again, it was non-weight bearing. I mean, you're not, you're not, uh, when you're skating, it's a little different than when you're running. I, so oh. I got away with it. That's great. That's great. Um, all right. Going down the, the rapid fire. So one of the things um, I, I also learned is that you have you've been dealing with ADHD. Is that right? Or you have been diagnosed? Yeah. No, just is mostly that... when I was a kid. Okay. Yeah. It's not It's not now anymore. I, I, um, I think for me, I have a lot of, um, well, I figured out in my adult life, I had a lot of food intolerances. Oh. And I think a lot of the diet. I was, I was this little crazy kid and I just, I didn't have, like, I could never sit still and my parents would drive them nuts, like literally drive them nuts. I just, I was, they said I would just come through a room in like a spiral, like a little tornado and I would just like destroy the whole room and then I'd be out doing something else. And I was like a mile a minute. So, um, you know, I definitely have that sort of tendency brain wise. Like I'm like, gosh, like don't throw too much at me at once. I need to like slow it down. Like, yeah. but I definitely, um, I'm not suffering that hyperactivity at all. I've, I've, um, I think that was mostly diet related. Cause when I did change my diet, a lot of that changed. It's it, like, it, it's, that's really interesting to me. Like, what did you find? What, what were you eating that caused you to kind of behave in that way? Well, first of all, I know, I know from reading like a lot of, um, uh, sort of preservatives okay. and artificial colors and like other artificial coloring and everything like that. So any, like all the sugars and stuff that we were all eating in the seventies and eighties, like, you know, candy bars and all that stuff like that, that didn't help. <laughs> and then, right. um, that, that made me a little wired. And then also I, I didn't know this. I, I had a dairy intolerance was huge for me. And when I got rid of dairy, um, just, I had a number of symptoms that they all went away. So that helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think about like, gosh, being raised in that era, like a healthy, well-rounded breakfast was like some crazy sugar cereal. Right. <laughs> or even then a healthy they, and then, one, and then, then you know, so much sugar. Yeah, totally. And then, and if it didn't, if it was the healthy one, you'd put the spoonful of sugar on top of it. <laughs> Just sprinkle right? it extra and then. Yeah, and then everything was like fast food nation, right? Like I remember going back from hockey games, and there was this our our street we go that we go home on. There were like six different ones that we could stop at. We always had a different choice, right? And that was it. Really wasn't seen as it was just the norm. Right. And and so yeah, and then packaged foods and TV dinners and oh yeah, yeah, that was part of that era for sure. Um, how old were you when you first read the The Alchemist? That was the book you recommended for the yeah, project. Yeah, did. I think it was um, probably after two thousand and two. Okay. No, no, it was before. It was before because I was training. That's right. It was that. It was that year. Yeah, that's when I read it. So that was the first. So I had you know there was a hundred on that list, and I'm like, okay, great. It was a selfish thing, so I could build out my own reading list essentially. And that was the first one yeah. I went and read immediately because I just I hadn't even heard of it. What do you think? I loved it. I loved it. I wish I would have read it as a 16 year old. Yeah. It's simple, right? Yeah. It's just, yeah, I really like it too. I actually, you inspired me to reread it because I I, I was like, I would love to see it from my perspective now as an adult, because I read it basically as a kid in my mind, I was a kid then, but like, and so, and you know what other one, if you've never read, have you ever read power of one? No, it's on, it's on the list. Literally. That's a good one too. And I, and I, I think, I wanted to put that one on too, but I was like, I can't list four books that I like. So that one, if you can read too, that one inspired me a lot too as well. I remember AJ Malesko, my teammate, had read it. She's like, you got to read this. And I read it and I was like, this book is awesome as well. What, what's the concept there with that book? In, like, what... That book is about a young boy in, um, in Africa who is sent off to boarding school and is pretty much bullied by the kids. And he had to overcome a lot of that kind of, um, behavior and then just found a couple of friends and really key people on the book that have motivated him. And one in particular, he got into boxing mm-hmm. and he learned how to box. And 
um, but but all the all the characters in the book are they're 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 so interesting and so it's so good. Yeah. Um, okay, I will I will add that to the list. And the last question yeah. I have for you here to end is, um, what are your strategies for packing when you go, go camping? Is are there <laughs> Are there U-Hauls involved? Do you think that's a good? Oh idea? my gosh! Okay, yes, yes. Okay, this this one is um, this was Ray's idea to get the U-Haul. So <laughs> I, I'm I was fine with packing the truck, and our friends that went with us were fine with packing a two trucks for eight people. We would get it in, we would find a way. Mm-hmm. But the year before, he kept mentioning at the campsite, next year we're getting a U-Haul, and every one of us laughed at him. We're like, who has a U-Haul Nobody. at a campground? Well, we did see one, and that's what made him want to do it. But it was a wedding, and they had a U-Haul for a wedding. And he goes, that's the most brilliant idea. He goes, you guys are laughing, but everyone in the campground next year is going to be like, that's a good idea. (laughs) So anyway, we did it this year. We brought a U-Haul, and we had plenty of room, and our friends were just, like, shaking their heads. And it it ended up being the big joke of for us of the trip. But we did fit everything we needed. And... Ray, my husband, definitely when a person would come by and say, hey, that was a good idea, he made us understand that it was a good idea. So you're actually so, pro U-Haul then? You are you well, are converted? I think it somehow breaks the idea of, like, camping. <laughs> it's more like glamping it up with, like, getting too much stuff there. But um, – I, I, I got to say, like, it, it, we did bring some extra things that we probably wouldn't have. And we would have been fine without them, yes. But I, I got to say, Ray, you know, we went with it and, it. and it was a good story. So I guess the key would be to see what happens next year, if it ends up on the trip or not. <laughs> awesome. Well, Cammie, yeah. thanks for doing this. This was a, this was a lot of yeah, fun. Craig. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll catch up down the road. Thanks, Cammie. Okay. Sounds great. Thanks. Right. Bye. I want to thank Cami Granado for joining the podcast again. That was a lot of fun. And I am really looking forward to see how Seattle, first of all, I'm looking forward to them having a name. Um, so I can stop calling them the Seattle Expansion Franchise. Just I can't wait to see them build that out and, and continue to make smart hires like they've done so far. Um, and then, then you know, you start adding, building around that with the, the coaching staff and eventually the players. It's It's going to be fascinating, again, to watch that play and there's going to be some crazy probably unrealistic expectations after what happened in vegas so it but they've got some smart people there and it's going to be really fascinating to watch before we wrap up let me just put in a plug for my good friends scott burnside and pierre lebrun who are every single week they are putting out their two-man advantage podcast which in my personal opinion is a great compliment to this pod because i like to have long conversations with people that I kind of hope you can listen to anytime, right? Like I I don't get into a ton of the news of the day. I want you to be able to go through the old library of interviews of the full 60, find something and give it a listen. And so what you miss is a lot of talk about what's happening right now in hockey. And Scott and Pierre are awesome at getting into that. Like right now, as, as I speak, Pierre's flying back from – Board of Governors in Pebble Beach in California, and just a ton of news coming out of that. So I am sure they're they're going to get into all of that. Um, they have great guests. Blake Wheeler was awesome on that podcast. Um, they, you know, Pierre is really and Scott too. This is you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great duo that's been together a long time. They're great at lining up high profile guests, and it, it's it's a must listen. Um, so I would encourage you go on to the Athletic app or to wherever it is you get your podcast and give the two-man advantage with Scott Burnside and Pierre LeBron a listen. And lastly, thank you for making it this part of the way. Lastly, I want to thank everybody who gave a five-star review on iTunes or wherever it is you can review a podcast. Especially, I want to, I want to give a shout-out, basically I just want to say his name, to Jumping Joe Smasheroo. Jumping Joe gave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and he in the review he wrote, he, meaning me, provokes discussion and covers a wide range of hockey-related subjects, and he manages his guests so well and doesn't dominate the conversation. I, that seems to be the theme in the review, so basically, as long as I stay out of the way, you guys are happy, which I'm happy to do, because we have some very fun, smart people on this podcast that... We certainly want to hear way more of from me. So 
Thank you again for that review, Jumping Joe Smasheroo. And thank you for listening. Have a great week.